Welcome back to Squawk Box. Rick Santelli here live at CME HQ with a litany, a long list of important breaking news. Let's start out with our first look at fourth quarter GDP. Expected to be up 2%, buckle up, up 3.3%, up 3.3%. That is a huge jump. Obviously, it follows a stronger 4.9, but this is much stronger than many anticipated. And if we look at consumption, 2.8, three tenths higher than expected, but also three tenths less than the rear view mirror, which was 3.1 on the price index. Uh, half of last time, 1.5. We're expecting 2.2. Our last look was 3.3. Uh, 1.5, how does that figure in? 1.5 would be the lowest since it was negative, and that was June of 2020. We'll be having our coffee before the session, and, and you raised the coffee example. I'd love just to give you the chance to expand on that. Basically, the coffee that we all drink um, emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. So we should all know that this is every time we drink coffee, we are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Do you have concerns about how to approach the certification process again on January 6th? I think everyone is right to be vigilant in demanding that we maintain our democracy and we uphold its pillars, which includes the integrity of a free and fair election system. How concerned are you about the president standing in Michigan right now? You know, obviously we see the polls and they're not good. But, you know, we we see a trend happening, particularly in the west side of the state, where individuals are increasingly rejecting the type of extremism that is embodied in today's Republican Party. Can he win the presidency without Michigan? Absolutely not. And, and I don't think he can win without West Michigan. Down the field, a charging team that will not yield and win the blue and silver wave. Stand and cheer the brave, rah, rah, rah. Go hard, win the game. With honor, you will keep your fame. Down the field and gain alliance victory. Go. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 166 here on Thursday, January 25th. Mike and I are together in the AEA studios. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle, and I hope you all are buckling up because we got a hell of a show today. Yeah, I'm Mike McKenna, and I'm trying to match Tom's level of enthusiasm, <laughs> but it's not easy. Well... Just so you're aware, I had a lot of coffee. Screw that Davos guy, okay? First of all, he's French. So whatever he says, I, I, don't, I don't believe in the first place. But secondly, I'm drinking my coffee. And now I'm drinking it with an extra pep in my step. An extra Susan of, of, yes. of policy excitement. Yeah, you got yes. to be honest with you. A Frenchman trying to tell, tell everybody to stop drinking coffee. Everybody is like, the coffee is the... I mean, biggest contributor to the global climate crisis. I mean, I mean, that's literally all the French do is sit around, smoke cigarettes, and drink coffee. I mean, what? <laughs> it's it's like telling the Americans you can't watch football the coffee, anymore. The, here's the quote: "The coffee that we all drink emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. Every time we drink coffee, 
We are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Yeah. Isn't that pretty much what we do every single second that we I exhale? I was going to say, I encourage everyone listening to not exhale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these people. Uh, I'm going to miss Davos this year. We got one article on it later, did, did which I'm wa- going to get Did he walk get over into. to Davos? Did he walk over to Switzerland? I do or not did he know fly? how he arrived. Because every sure time he had fly, a, uh, a nice, robust uh, cup what? of coffee on his private jet. Like I said, I give the guy full credit. Telling the French you can't drink coffee. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, Santelli says we're booming. 3.3 is not bad. 3.3, pretty good. um, Everyone's thinking in the next year, everyone. I've seen a bunch of analysis in the next year. It says um, 2025 is going to be like 1%. 2024 is going to be like 1% growth. So I think think everyone's super concerned about it, which is why the 3.3 numbers are like, yay. <clears throat> I, I don't know what to what to make. Of I it, don't know personally. what to make of it either. Uh, and and I'm always I do have a theory though. Is that everyone said, oh well, you know, we avoided a recession. I think we had a recession, but we didn't like define it as a recession. Well, we've been bouncing around the center line for a while. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So I mean, you know, recession's pretty simple. Two two consecutive quarters of negative growth. That's the definition. I will I, say this though. I think that uh, Americans who are paying. Fifteen percent more for their propane, forty uh, percent more for their heating oil, six uh, percent more for their uh, natural gas for home heating. Yeah, the, you know, the, I mean, the, there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of inflation overhang. That, our that friends, our friends at the Committee with, to so. Unleash Prosperity, our friends at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, have made this point a couple of times, and that is. Real wages, real um, real household wages, right? Income, um, down ten percent. Yeah, uh, from the from twenty nineteen, they're down ten percent when you factor in inflation. That's not even factoring in regulation, which I keep telling these guys they should because the number would be bigger. If I'm President Trump, I'm not sure how I don't start off every conversation by saying, "Are you guys better off than you were four years ago?" Because the answer is no, I'm not. Well, the UAW uh, leader thinks that he's going to be terrible for his workers. You Who? Know, the, Trump's going to be terrible for yeah, his workers? Yeah, he endorsed uh, Biden yesterday. How many of his actual union members are going to buy, are going to vote for Biden? Wow. That's weird. Yeah, I don't... It's a total know. complete disconnect. Well, it's why, it's why anytime somebody says, you know, somebody describes somebody as a, an ex-leader, in this case a union leader, I'm like... If you don't have any followers, are you really a yeah. leader or are you just some dude who the press calls up? Well, I am a huge fan and follower of the vice president, and I'm just really excited about her more recent response to the question about threats to democracy. Hey, I'm sorry. I think everyone has a right to be vigilant in demanding that we maintain our democracy and we uphold its pillars, which includes the integrity of a free and fair election uh, can I ask a question about that? Have, 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 She's really good. Has the vice president solved the, the immigration, the border security she is problem? So, Wasn't she in charge of the border security problem? The thing is, she I don't know where she learned this little tick of hers, but she's so good at not saying anything. Like, it's it's pretty impressive. So, I don't, All know, right. I don't know where you picked that up. If I wish I could, because it's probably a great skill to have in this town. Congresswoman Schulten from Michigan uh, was very direct direct in her response to the question. Yeah, obviously we see the polls. And no, they're not good. 
what is it? What is your take on her on her uh, her presumption that if she, if if mm-hmm. Biden doesn't win Western Pennsylvania, Michigan, he will not win the election? Is it? Yeah, is the, literally the, is yes. the whole election down to Western Michigan? Well, yeah. The short answer is probably. Um, so, Carl, can I can I diverge for a second? Carl Rove's got this theory out that hey, there's you know this election is going to come down to. Um, Four states, and each of the four is going to come down to twenty-five thousand votes. Okay, that's it's kind of a. Um, did he know, use his little whiteboard when he when knows? he did it? I don't know. It, it it it's it's fine analysis as far as it goes, but it leaves out a bunch of stuff. But her point is, and I tend to agree. Western Michigan, um, and and the UP right, the Upper Peninsula, that first district, and and Western Michigan right, Traverse City, that part of the world, um, is a bellwether. If if you know, when, when Trump won in 2016, Jack Bergman, General Bergman, won in the first and carried uh, carried Trump across the finish line in western Michigan, western northern Michigan. I'm sure she has it in her head. The same kind of thing is happening. And you know, personal diversions. I was out working the, I was out working the campaign in 2016 out in western Michigan. I spent about two weeks out there. The sign, the sign war was just you. You, <laughs> you, you drove for a hundred miles and you never saw a Clinton sign. You, I mean, it was creepy. It was just like, it was like a Soviet election out there in Western Michigan, right? There was just like one guy. Yeah. And right then I was like, you know, that and the trip to Wisconsin earlier. I'm like, we're gonna win this election, right? I remember walking back there and this thing's over. And I suspect she has that same vibe, right? We're in trouble here. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about New Hampshire uh, a little bit later in the program. Go Lions! Oh, boy. The producer's smiling over there. He's wa- wavering back and forth between trying to get his way to, this, to to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Because if they make it in and he actually goes to the game, I'm sure it'll affect the outcome. So, <laughs> yeah, Seriously, they'll lose. All right. So uh, I was two for four. Mm-mm. Two for four last week. You were two and two, two and two. Yes, I picked. Uh, I picked Texas, and of course, my Bills. Yeah, spectacularly in spectacular fashion, once again threw up on their shoes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not like, I what were your what was your one, track one and, three, one and three, one and three? And what were you, producer? I'm never listening to you guys again. By the way, two and two, also. two and two also. Yeah, I made the mistake of Green Bay. All right, mean, golly. So now we got. Now there's four. Green Bay, in all fairness, Green Bay should have won that game. And they didn't. Right? And the Bills should have won that game. In all fairness, Buffalo could have, should have won. It would have been good if they had a defense. Yeah, that's what that's what brought them down, obviously, because I think they had everything else going for them. But wide right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wide right. Everybody wants to blame the kicker. I'm like, no, guys. it's not the kicker's fault. It's, it's well, it, Mahomes fault. gets the ball back with a minute and 15, a minute and 30 left, and two timeouts. Yeah. He was going to run the field. Uh, what hap- What needed to happen was Allen needed to convert that first down. That's and, right. And they he had two throws. The game. He had two throws, yep. and, and they weren't even close. Yep. They weren't even close. Yep. That was unfortunate. So, yeah. But, hey, it's just a game. This week, really? coming up. It's just a game. Baltimore, Kansas City. Yeah. Pick it. Oh, Baltimore. I think Lamar. So the I curse think I, is over. I think Lamar Jackson's. That, that was the other game that sunk me. Right. I'm yeah. like, Hey, Baltimore hasn't put it together. I picked. I made, I drafted L- off of you on that. So L- I believe Lamar Jackson has clearly put it together, and I think it's going to be like a blowout. 
Are they playing in Baltimore? Uh-huh. Okay, good. I think that defense is just, yeah. you know, Mahomes has finally reached the defense. He probably can't just run I'm up I'm choosing Baltimore. Producer? Yeah. I think Baltimore, too, probably by a touchdown. All right. Yeah. Okay, a little bit closer for him. Uh, clearly, you're going for the Lions. My head says San Francisco. No, no, don't they go. Don't yeah. cover, but my heart obviously says. Okay, how about you? What's, the, gonna, what's the line on it, five, six? It was a touchdown. Last time I looked. Yesterday. Really? They think yeah. that little of the Lions? I was I was thoroughly underwhelmed by by San Francisco the last couple of weeks. And keep in mind, Baltimore just beat the hell out of them in the last week of like All right. week sixteen, I think. Um So where are you going? Who are you going for uh, there, Mikey? It's really tough. I don't want to pick the Lions because I don't think they're that good. But the 49ers aren't that good either. I'm gonna go with the 49ers. All right, fair enough. I'm gonna go with the Lions. And I'm gonna go with Baltimore. That's where I'm picking this okay. week. So Yeah. All right. Uh, any announcements from you? I have two, and then you have to finish my second announcement. Okay. Uh, first, uh, <laughs> prayers and healing to our friend and loyal listener Barbara. Uh, yeah. You know why? Yes. Uh, Thank we're, you. We're, I forgot we're, about we're that. We're praying for you, Barbara. Um, and then another epic meal, as you alluded to uh, before the show, uh, with our friend Lou. And by the way, uh, Mike, his tailor is. Everard's uh, clothing and tailor tailoring in Georgetown. Yeah, and I, I, I was told that I was on an email on that, but I can't find it, you guys. I just can't. So. I'm not. It's, you know, it's all good. So those are my announcements. How about you? Uh, I'm going to do this, even though I can't remember the thing in the middle. Um, I want to give a shout out to Dan, uh, a a uh, a. A newly energized listener. I can't give you anything more than that, including his initial of his yeah, name nor where he his, works. We have to because protect his identity. Welcome to the welcome to the conspiracy, Dan. Um, I have Chris written down here, but I can't think of why. Oh, I want to thank Chris Icavella for his time yesterday. Yes, um, I want to thank Richard again. I can't use your last name or where you work, but you were kind enough to. Um, to construct a situation in which uh, uh, we could attend the Washington Auto Show if we so chose, and I appreciate that. Um, so thank you, Richard. And I want to re remind everybody that last uh, January 21st, right, a couple of days ago, um, is the uh, anniversary of the 200th anniversary of the birth of one of the finest Virginians ever, Thomas, Thomas Jonathan Jackson, was born on January 21st. 1824. So it's been 200 years for Stonewall. Okay. I thought you brought that up already. I don't think so. I meant to. I, I, I meant I'm to. Sure Georgians I, won't, won't appreciate that. But. Georgians? You mean the guys who killed him? Those are North Carolinians. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, why, that's, that's, why, that's why if you're going to join a confederacy, you got to be careful who yeah. the other confederates are because, yeah. you know. All right. Um, uh, this day in history in 41. In 1941? No, no. 41. Oh, 41. In uh, the year 41. Uh, Caesar Augustus becomes emperor of Rome. Uh, no, on this day, Claudius the first becomes emperor of Rome, who extended Roman rule in North Africa and made Britain a province of the Roman Empire, was affirmed as emperor, raised to the post one day after the murder of his nephew Caligula, Gaius Germanicus Caesar, Caesar. aka Caligula. Yeah. All right, in 844, I'm going on the Wayback Machine this, this week. In 844. So Charlemagne in Europe, right? Uh, Charlemagne's kid. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah got they're it. not going to get 
Are you ready? Yeah, I'm kind in of eight forty four. And this is the only reason I brought up is because this is the first I'd heard of this con- this concept, and I should should know it. A Roman archdeacon named John was elected anti-pope. Okay. Against the nobility's candidate, Pope Sergius II. Yeah. Apparently, there have been about a half a dozen anti-popes. Yeah, sure. I had I didn't know this thing at all. Yeah. I had no, no I had no idea what yeah, an for, anti-pope for, was for, for about seventy five eighty years. Rome. The Pope, the, the real Pope was set up in Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At one so, point, there was three Popes. Yeah, okay. So we had, we had Popes, we had anti-Popes back in the day. Sorry. In 1924, on this day, in a little town called Chamonix, Chamonix, Chamonix. I should ask the banker what year? with the coffee. What year? In 1924, in no a idea. little tiny... Town in the French Alps. This, the per- first of this took place. <laughs> no earthly idea. The very first Winter Olympics. Ah, okay. On yeah, this sure. day in 1924, spectators were thrilled by the ski jump and bobsled. Oh, ski jumps are pretty cool. You ever seen As one well as 12 other events involving a total of six sports. Yeah. So there we go. Ski jumping is the most terrifying thing I've ever Seen or contemplated. In 1945, on this day, and this this begins all conspiracy. This begin this sets out the beginning of all modern conspiracy theories. In my humble opinion, this day in 1945. This day in 1945, in an effort to prevent tooth decay, oh, Florida, Grand Rapids, <laughs> Michigan, became the first U.S. city to add fluoride to its water system. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're right about you're right about the conspiracy stuff. <laughs> and finally, it's been a tough one this time. I haven't gotten a single one even close. No, they're all a little obscure. But yeah. In 1967, on this day, 1967. No, I'm sorry. In 1971, on this day, in California, the the Dolphins a won gentleman the Super Bowl with a swastika on his forehead. Oh, Charlie Manson. Was convicted, along with three of his fellow travelers, of the brutal 1969 murders of Sharon Tate and six others. Yeah, Patricia Krenwinkel and... Uh... I don't have the names. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Yeah. Uh, were a couple of them. So. A couple of victims. Yeah. Yeah, that was the second night. So and of course he died in prison in 2017. So he was given the death penalty, but then they, they, they. It's unfortunate. They undid the death penalty. Yeah. So, he's, so we had to feed him for like 25, 30, 40 years. All right. Um, where should we start today? I guess maybe do a little hill update, shall we? If you want to. Uh, let's do a quick one here. It sounds pressing. All right. So this is hot off the presses. Senator Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, the rumors are that he's get, getting his um, he's he's doing a lot better. Uh, we're told that his mental acumen has been it's the fluoride in the water reinforced. Anyhow, uh, the the minority leader gave a um, pep talk to his conference yesterday and proceeded to kill the. Bipartisan immigration border security compromise. Yes. And Ukraine funding. 
at the exact same time, citing uh, irreconcilable differences amongst members of his conference and also the fact that President Donald J. Trump, the likely nominee, has uh, thrown shade all over the bipartisan talks. As he should. I don't and know. my majority minority leader has also sort of, uh, shall we say, conceded the fact that Trump is going to be the nominee uh, and is now yeah. giving him a little bit more deference to the man. Yeah, I, you know, so that's, I, the, that's, I, the, that's the news up on the Hill. Of course, we have this tax thing, which you can talk about, but doesn't look all that interesting I, I'm, to me. I'm, I'm, I don't understand... You know, Mike Speaker Johnson is the only the only one thinking about this the right way, man. HR two is like an admission fee. It's not a negotiating position. It's an yes, admission fee. But of course, and you know the thing is, nobody. And here's what here's what no one talks about. This is this is the power of this particular issue, border security, right? No one's talking about the rest of this thing, giving money to Ukrainians or the Israelis or the Palestinians. It's all become border security now. It, I, I do not understand the Republicans. They seem to be desperate to give away any kind of leverage they ever get. It's like they're uncomfortable driving the car. They keep throwing the keys back to people. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past. You know, it's interesting though that the uh, the way that it's portrayed. I'll give you. An, I'll just give you an idea. Punchbowl, and they're usually pretty, pretty good, like straight down the middle. But they said, "What will Johnson do if the Senate pass does pass a foreign aid bill? He could face a threat to hold." on the speaker's chair if he tries to move Ukraine aid on his own. He already flubbed the linking Israel aid to IRS spending cuts. That measure has been hung, hung up in the Senate for months. How is that a flub? How is, how is that a flub? I have no idea what they're talking about even. How is it a flub to want to pay for the, for the foreign aid? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't understand. Is it a flub because the Democrats don't want it? Who wrote this? I don't understand what the hell they're writing. Sherman and Bresnahan. Oh, you so. think they know better. Yeah. So anyway, um, hmm, hmm, as the young people like to say, hmm, yeah. And do you want to talk about this tax deal at all? It's, I, I yeah. So I, I just a little bit, right? I mean, it's everybody's attempt to get in front of the tax mess that's coming at the top of next year, right? They want to cut out some parts of it and and stuff that's clearly bipartisan. Um, you know the. Problem is, is the pay for is pretty sketchy, and the other problem yeah, well, the is pay for is fake. The other problem, pay for is always are fake. The other thing that's that's um that was interesting about the tax thing was yesterday Mike Pence's crew came out against it and pretty robustly too. Yeah, yeah. I, like you know, you know, they're doing good work over there. They are doing. Shop. You know, I, I, I they're to, asserting themselves in policy. I and, hate to, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it. I think Paul Teller is 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 doing good work. Yeah, well, yeah, give him credit. I've got, I'm I'm willing to give him credit. Yeah. I just don't, you know. I, I I hope what it is is now they've been unburdened by uh, <laughs> by what has been by what has been. <laughs> they can they can get on with what needs to be. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. Well done. All right, uh, let's talk New Hampshire. Big news: President Donald J. Trump, the uh, front runner in the Republican party nomination for the 2024 race has uh won again he's two for two new hampshire primary uh picked up what is it north of 70 
75% of the Republicans who actually voted in the primary. 75% of self-identified Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Nikki Haley, of course, uh, a respectable but still distant second place, having achieved the um, uh, notoriety of picking up practically all of the independents uh, who essentially just crossed over from Democrat to, to vote for sort of the anti-Trump vote. Yeah, it was interesting, right? Forget the forget the ident- forget the identifiers as Democrats or independents. The interesting thing was is that all her voters in New Hampshire look like Democrats on the secondary questions. <laughs> I know, right? You know, they, so... they, they, they have basically they basically never go to church. Right. They don't own guns and they're all college educated. Yeah. And they all live in the suburbs. I was like so basically, the Democrats like you know sent a bunch of people in. Having said that, I would note that um, the president only won by eleven, twelve points. Yeah, that was about five less than I thought he was going to win by, and about ten less than they thought he was going to win by. So there's I don't want to say weakness; that's too strong a word, but um, there's some shoring up that needs to happen. Well, there's a lot of shoring up that needs to happen. But what what this uh, told me was that. Um, he's doing, he's doing very well at what he's good at, which is bringing his folks to the polls, but he's also doing very well at what he's also good at is bringing other people to the polls who don't want to vote for him. And quite frankly, it's sort of like a Howard Stern phenomenon, right? Back in the day when Howard Stern was actually like listenable. Yeah. I don't listen to him. So Nick, Nick. It's like his audience consisted of roughly half the people who loved him yes. and hung on his every word for what he was going to say next, and half the people who hated him and hung on his every word for what he was going to uh, say next. Yeah, so, Nick, Nick Corsanity from the New York Times wrote wrote this great opening sentence on on his reporting from New Hampshire of the election. Right, he's like, you know, Donald Trump continues his electrification. Donald Trump continues to electrify American political audiences. Right. And his point was exactly that, that Mm -hmm. he just drives. He's a turnout machine, man. Mm -hmm. He just is Yep, in all directions. So the issues that mattered on New Hampshire primary night were the economy first, immigration, a close second. Yep. And then foreign policy and abortion topped the charts at 15 and 12. Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, okay, so you got to know those were the only four they gave them in the the entrance and exits. So we don't like when we ask. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The interesting thing about that, before you before you tear it up and go to the next one, the interesting thing about that is as same CNN asked the same questions and same set of questions with same set of responses in Iowa. Right. President, and I wrote this in a column today for the for our our, our um, partners at the Washington Times. Right, President Trump is talking about the economy and border security, and that's what people care about. Yeah, and that was part of the DeSantis problem. He talked about wokeness and Disney and DEI, and people. I'm not saying those aren't important, but that's not what people are focused on now. Right. The interesting thing. The other interesting thing is among the twelve percent. It's a terrible thing. Among the twelve percent of the population, among twelve percent of respondents in uh, Iowa, in New Hampshire, rather, who identified abortion as the most important issue, they broke two to one for Haley. Yeah. She got like sixty-four percent of that vote. The interesting thing is in Iowa, again, there was about twelve, fifteen percent who identified abortion as the most important issue. They broke sixty-forty for Trump. Okay, 
So the only way you can interpret that is in Iowa, the right to life were showed up and I, hey, Trump's, well, Trump's yeah, my assuming guy. Assuming he's going to remain. Who knows? Camp, right? That's right? exactly right. Who because knows? Because we know he's, you know, he's not yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's he knows the, history. There's, there's the, right. The, right. And in New Hampshire, all the folks who wanted to preserve abortion obviously identified Haley as the candidate most yeah, likely to do that. It's interesting. It's an interesting polling fragment. And I encourage everybody to reflect on it as you consume a bunch of survey data for the next 12 months. What you're asking and what people are answering might not be the same yes, thing. Yes, of course. So you got to kind of be aware of that as you read these things. So two quick takeaways for me on the Haley thing. Yeah. She's doubling down. Uh, uh, she vows to, to march forward. Uh, there's two things going on, right? One is money people are – there are some money people that are still in with her, and, and there are some that are already publicly announcing that she should move on. But there's also this – if Haley, if Trump only picks Haley, it's a dream team. That's that's sort of oh, the thing floating around, which isn't going to happen. The more Tucker. she's, the longer she stays in the race. I think she, if she loses her home state, pretty significantly, and the polling shows that, you know, she's gonna, that might hurt her in the future. Well, there's no future at that point. Significantly, at that point. so it's a risky, it's risky for her to actually be. In the race, still in her home state of South Carolina, when it comes up, I, I, in my in my opinion, for her future political viability, and she has no future political viability. So. This is this is free money now. She's just running because she's running. She's, and that's probably true too. Yeah, you know, she's just not going to. She's not. I mean, she's not. She's not going to grow up to be anything else. This is it. This is the end, and that's yeah, okay. Anti Trump. That's okay. You know, it's not. It's not. Doesn't make you a bad person, but it it does also does not going to make you vice president. So yeah. Uh, other news, Doug Burgum. Yeah, decided I've seen enough of this. Is not running again. Uh, you know what? That's a genuine loss. He, he, the country probably needs a guy like him doing something. Well, I think he should run for Senate. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad There's a guy named Kevin, uh, Kevin Kramer who's up for re-election. I, you know, I, <laughs> I think he'd be a hell of a senator, don't, don't you? I think, you know, the thing is, an administration with, um, an administration. Yeah, he'll get a job. In if Trump, if Trump wins, if, if President Trump wins, it, the administration's going to have some. Um, it's going to be erratic in some places. I think a guy like Bergam, yeah, yeah, lends lend some stability oh, and gravitas and all that other. Kelly good stuff. Armstrong announced she's going to run for governor. Yeah, uh, so that's going to open up the House seat. Yeah, um, I don't blame him. Right? There's I mean, no, there's no trouble with any of these seats for the Republican Party. Uh, she received about seventy four percent of the vote. He, he, sorry, yeah, received about 40, 74% of the vote in, in his yeah. three elections. I mean, I can remember back when North Dakota had like two Democrats, one in the Senate, one in the House. That was like, a, that was only like 20 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't like a million yeah. years ago. Yeah. What's his yeah. name? The the guy with the bad hairpiece, Byron Dorgan. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, anything sorry. else on politics? Our, our producer laughed at my description of Byron Dorgan. <laughs> which, by the Hill. way, Byron Dorgan's a good guy. Well, he... He did have a pretty bad hair. Yeah, it was though. terrible. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, bad. it was Luntz. It was Luntz esque, you know. Yes, but so. he was a great guy. He is a great guy. I assume he's still alive. So. Uh, what else on politics? Anything? Yeah, I got one thing real yeah, quick because I get asked this. I, I've been asked this like multiple times in the last week, so it must be on everybody's mind. Retirements, right? We're at, I think forty six now with with uh, Mr. Armstrong. Um, 
that's a little higher than the than the average, right? The average is usually 35, 36, 37, yeah. something like that. Um, the interesting thing about it, right, and, and the reporters, the reason why you haven't seen these stories about, you know, is because it's essentially the 46 are evenly split. In fact, I think it's 24 yes, Democrats and 22 I, I Republicans, right? Yeah. So what that means is, you know, one way, one possible way, and perhaps the only possible way to interpret that is, and these are guys, the guys who are retiring are, um, you know, for the most part, people in, in the middle of the seniority chain, they would be subcommittee chairs. Um, on both sides, right? Democrats and Republicans. The only way to interpret everybody retiring is, is that they, the Republicans have concluded the Democrats are going to win the House, and they don't want to be, um, yeah, they don't want to be in the minority for what would be four years if Trump wins, right? Because Trump wins that off year in twenty six is not going to go well. Um, and the Democrats have concluded the same thing that the Republicans are going to win and they don't want to be in the minority anymore. Cause if you think your goal, your side's going to win, you're going to stay in place. It, 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 yeah. I mean, I think there's more of that on the Republican side than on the democratic side, but I don't know. Uh, I just get the feeling it's, reported. I don't think it's a jump ball. I think it's advantage Dems unless I mean in, in, in November. Yeah. On knows? the house. Who knows? So who knows? Tell me how the campaign's going to go. Yeah, that's true. Tell me what we're talking about. If we're talking about border security at the end of this show, if 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 yeah, if the president if the president if President Trump's going to win Western Michigan, totally different kettle of fish, right? I say we're we're going to tease this up. We chatted with someone from Texas on this issue, and as long as Governor Abbott continues to do what he's doing on immigration, it doesn't matter. That conversation is happening. I mean, if the if the U.S. Customs Border Control or whatever, if Mayorkas wants to keep tearing down that barbed wire and he keeps putting it back up you could not have more any more like symbolic visual yeah. than the than the and these now these yeah. states are bringing in planes yeah. and yeah you know i, I, I mean I, this is red blue this is I, we keep saying you know there's so many similarities to the 1860s going on it's not the same level but there's just a lot of like Stuff going There's on. A lot of churn. Right? There's a lot of churn. A lot of churn. A lot Thank of churn. You. Yeah. A lot of churn. And you know what? It it probably good for us. Probably good oh, that we yeah, finally we're finally going to have this conversation about border security. You know, it really doesn't matter though if if President Trump wins because according to Senator Hassan, yeah, play the clip for me, producer. But but to this point about what you're watching for on the Republican side, if Trump wins from the perspective of Democrats, is this primary over? Or are you officially then running against Trump in a general election? Look, Trump is very likely to win the nomination from everything we're seeing. But I think people need to be really clear here, regardless of which Republican wins the nomination, whether it is Haley or DeSantis or Trump, uh, they are all uh, committed to rolling this country backwards, to undermining democracies. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Republican policy platform for 2024 is to undermine democracy, <laughs> no matter who it is. Does not matter who it is. I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I noted. I, I note with some some enthusiasm that Republicans have taken steps to remove Mr. Biden from state ballots. <laughs> That, it's just great. They it's they so they they've used the mechanisms of the state to surveil their adversaries. I mean, is am I 
Is that? Yeah. Am I thinking about this no, the right way? No, you're, I... you're spot on. It's their. It's the primary. It's the Republican Party platform in 2024. Republicans rolling back protections and undermining democracy. So, oh boy. Uh, you know, that's a United States senator talking. I know it's insane. They should know better. All right. Uh, R.I.P. L.N.G. What are you talking about? What do you mean? What are you saying? This is from Fox News. Biden reportedly jams brakes on massive energy projects over climate impacts. Yeah, so... Such action would shock the global energy market. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that uh, because it's a long-dated problem. You know, well, let's just set it up. Uh, Basically, John Podesta and Ali Zaidi, who are two uh, partners in crime in the White House, uh, have basically waged a campaign in inside the, the big house to freeze all LNG permits for the remainder of the year. Yeah. So it's, so what's the big project that's that's show pass number two. It's yeah. run by Venture Global, who themselves are. Yeah, they're doing some morally compromised stuff. It, it, yeah. it, two things about this. Right. First off, um, this is a this is a pretty there's a division in the, in the administration about this, right? Yeah. The, the environmental folks want to put the brakes on LNG, and including Secretary Granholm, right? Um, from the Canada. national The national security guys from Canada, the national security guys um, are like, the national security guys are, are very much opposed to this, right? They understand that, that um, we're going to need a lot more LNG out to our allies in Europe and North uh, yeah, well, Senator Cassidy, this is North a war on our allies. Yeah. They depend on us for their energy and economic security. For apparently political purposes, the Biden administration is deliberately postponing permitting. Yeah, Putin well, must have designed this strategy. Uh, okay, so so here's the thing, right? There's there's two other things, a couple other things going on. I think it's important to know all of them. Uh, somebody in the White House, my suspicion is John Podesta leaked two separate stories, shared two separate stories that both ran yesterday. One was the story that, uh, that, um, one was the story that New York times ran, right? Which is what Fox just basically parroted, right? Hey, we're going to administration's going to put the brakes on all this stuff. Here, here's the problem with that administration. Can't that, that projects at FERC. It's not at any place. The administration has any immediate yeah, control. So over. You, there's two step process, right? DOE. You got to get your, got to get your, your facility DOE permit is, out of, out of FERC and you got to get your license to export out of DOE. Yeah. DOE, they can hold up forever and are in fact. Anyway, the second thing, the interesting thing is, so they, so they shared that with the New York times at the same time, they shared a story with Bloomberg, um, uh, that they were going to make an announcement in the next 10 days. Right. As soon as you, you know, when you see two stories that are um, connected and shared with different media outlets, you know, a guy like John Podesta is in the middle of it because that's a that's a that's a level of skill you don't usually see with people. Um, the other thing is, is that um, there's a sit in on, at the Department of Energy on uh, February 6th. Yeah. Bill McKibben is sitting in. Um, it's an anti LNG thing. It, this is a serious thing, right? The Europeans. Uh, the Japanese, the Koreans, they're very, very concerned about this. This is, this is, we're the world's largest exporter of LNG. It would be very bad if, if um, we didn't sort of follow through on our commitments. I had this conversation with a bunch of embassy guys yesterday. 
And the country guys, the, the actual representatives of countries were all concerned. The two guys in the room who were not terribly concerned were EU guys. You know, they were like, yeah, don't worry about it. Well, inventory is way up, right? It's it's not really. It's, no. it's up, but it's not way up. And the other thing is, is that all these projects, Calcasio Pass 2, um, the, you know, the Commonwealth Project, they all are, are all committed, right? They all have off-takers. They're fully committed. Those people are expecting gas three years from now, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a – this is – we're in a very ticklish spot here. Sorry, I know you didn't want all that. but No, it, I'm I'm glad that you shared it with our listeners. I think the uh, there's very few things that the administration can do to to stymie LNG, and that is the, the, the one that they can do unilaterally without, yeah, you know, without much quarrel. It's, so it's a matter which of is why problem. the previous administration basically said all these are hereby like I think they prospectively approved them they did. all, right? It's a, they did. This, if you're bringing well, one over, it's approved, so don't panic. Well, I mean, theoretically, DOE is supposed to supposed to pass judgment on the on the on the public interest of it, right? Is it in the public interest to? Yeah, to, this is all stupid. And it, you know, the this answer, all stems back from 1973. And, and, and you know what the great thing is in, so, in the legislation, public interest is not defined, so it could yeah. be. And the Trump guys were, you know, hey, you know what, public interest, you know, yeah. peace out, you guys enjoy. You know, the, the, another the, reason we need to change the law. Yes. So. Yes, and and you know what? And we it, don't need state to, to approve it. In all it, fairness, it, or, uh, you know, international pipelines either. There's that's no, right. There's no need. That's for that. right. If anybody, if anybody listening to this is involved in the Trump transition or the transition to power, um, it should be a day one thing. Yeah. You know, just just prove all the licenses in the queue. All right. So more common sense from Toyota. Yes. This is from CarScoops. Dot com. Wow. Which was actually, they just they just pulled it from Bloomberg. Toyota chief believes EVs can only capture 30% of future auto market. Akio Toyoda thinks that EVs will never make above 30% of auto industry with hybrids and hydrogen tech and gas-powered cars making up the rest. So current chairman, former CEO, if you recall, he was yeah. uh, one of the first people to speak out on this a while back. Yeah. Um, and he is basically saying the quiet part out loud, and theoretically that will it's a, validate all the other things that we've been seeing I was gonna in, say, the, in the you know in the news over the past. It's just it's been a cascade. It has been, been a cascade. avalanche, right? I, I will say one thing, and this bothers me about this con- this particular conversation. It bothers me that. Um, a Japanese car maker has to be the one telling the yeah, truth. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, I would expect it out of Americans first. You know, we're, we we are supposed to be the truth tellers on this planet. I don't get why we can't just say, hey, man, it's not going to happen this way. I would point out that the only people in America who are telling the truth about it is, of course, the Save Our Cars Coalition. We've said this. We've said the same thing for oh, yeah. for almost a year now. We had, I had a conversation with Kelsey at E&E yesterday, and she's like, so why all of a sudden are the Republicans just turning the EV thing into like a thing? I'm like, why all of a sudden? You know, it's it's been go- it's like the symbol of the left's entire green agenda, right? I had, I had it's a, like it's clearly us versus them. But this was interesting though. He said, um, Toyota. Toyota's mission is to reduce CO two emissions, not necessarily to convert to electric or fuel cell vehicles. He said. No one, mainly the media, is giving us an explanation for why EV technology is the solution that is promoted as the best pathway forward. 
which I thought was interesting. And uh, it, it. All right. Um, I, you know, I, we're going to keep having we're going to keep having this conversation, and it's going to keep wandering into the weird stuff because you're just like, there are no. Well, answers. we've got the Biden uh, sent over the uh, tailpipe, tailpipe rule, rule to from the, EPA to, to the White House for review, and bit, yeah. so they're on track to pull, push it out in March. Oh, they're going to do it. I, they're going to do it later than that. They'll do it as part of a campaign deal. I don't. What they'll do a stand up at some. The some factory. assume that they're gonna uh, they're gonna soften it up between between then and now. Not right? get it total. You know, I always assumed that I'd be taller and playing professional <laughs> football yeah. for some chunk of my life. So just but, to stay on the car jag for one more uh, article, this is from uh, an outfit called the Center Square in Pennsylvania. Nearly forty five hundred dealerships representing all motor manufacturing brands from every state recently signed a letter uh, asking Joe Biden to tap the brakes. Now, the letter was sent in November. Yeah, I was going to say. But since then, 500 additional dealerships have yeah, signed on the letter, letter yeah. and including 85 from the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's so, good news. Yes. That, that, that's, that, you know, 4,500 dealerships, I think there are about, what, 15,000 nationwide, about that? So yeah. You're talking about a third of the dealers now are kind of in, I don't want to say open revolt, but quiet revolt yeah. so one of the guys who sort of spearheaded the the letters a uh, guy from uh California? he owns dealerships in omaha and nebraska oh. um he said quote if you can imagine the government mandating chick-fil-a to make two-thirds of their sandwich some vegetarian substitute said anderson they can make all those sandwiches but you still have most of the people in the drive-through ordering chicken sandwiches you can't make them but they're just gonna sit in the in the warming bin, right? That's which is exactly what just he said. He's got a he said he's got two hundred uh, EVs sitting on his lot. Sure, he's got a year backlog on on the hybrid Prius. Sure. So what do consumers want? Right, yeah. the best of both worlds. It it it, it um. We are about to. We are about. We're gonna spend the next five years learning about all about the power of the largest most powerful probably the largest and what could be the most powerful trade association in america and that is the auto dealers yeah right? if finally they, if they been, exactly. how many years have we been saying why are they sitting why on are they the sitting? well they have finally they finally got the dealers like hey this is who no understand longer something. funny yeah this yeah. is no longer funny you're making right. me because keep in mind when a when a car sits on a lot the automakers charge the dealers for that for that yeah. car every month it sits there they pay they pay basically rental on a car yeah so for them, it's like they see it every every month on a bottom line. They're like, man, we're just this is like killing us. And two hundred cars, that's a lot. Yes, sir. That's a lot. That's a lot of cars. All right. So this was from this was a few weeks, a couple weeks back actually. Uh, NBC News wrote a big expose on YouTube. Climate denialism takes a turn. Oh, boy. What kind of turns did it take? Well, it says a study of more than 12,000 videos found that efforts to discredit the climate movement have moved on from whether climate change is real to focus on skepticism of solutions, activists, and scientists. I'm sorry. Who wrote this story? NBC News. The voices that deny climate change have settled on a new refrain. Instead of rejecting the fact that the Earth is warming... They're now focusing on skepticism of climate solutions as well as scientists and activists and altogether the idea that climate change will cause harm. According to a new report from, get this, the Center for Countering Digital Hate. 
CDH, Center for Countering. Center CCDH. The organization's analysis the organization's analysis suggests that the outright dismissal of climate change is no longer as convincing an argument. So skeptics are shifting the ideological fight to how seriously humanity must take it and what and what ought to be done. Yeah. The report also claims that the current policies of YouTube's parent company Google, which are supposed to block advertising money from content that rejects the scientific consensus about the existence and causes of climate change are ineffective and ought to be updated. All right, that's enough. Um, stop that. I, I will point out, and this is your weekly reminder. They, okay, just let me summarize. Oh, no, please, please. no. They, they, want, they continue to want to silence all voices on the other side of the climate change well, debate and are, are now focused on organizations who legitimately have problems with the quote-unquote solutions such as mandating this and forcing that. That's cool. You know, Google owns Google. So so Google owns all that stuff. They can do what they want yes. with it. I'm fine with that. Um, this is your weekly reminder, however, that um, all of those in the solutions camp that we've been uh, working under the Kyoto Protocol for 30 years now, and for 30 years, uh, greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere have gone up. Greenhouse emissions have gone up, um, and nothing seems likely to stop that in the near future so if you if you're worried about solutions forget about misinformation start worrying about the stuff that the, your betters keep telling you is going to so work. what exactly is misinformation targeting solutions designed to uh, who knows uh, who knows why do you worry about this stuff you're the only person reading it it just doesn't make sense to me. Of course, like, how makes... is it misinformation when you when you criticize a policy for increasing costs on people and and not resulting even... in a reduction in global emissions? I don't even know what misinformation means. Yeah, I, you mean lies? But if... there is a George Mason University Center for Climate Change Communication. I don't know if you were aware. Of oh, that. I was aware of that. Yeah, I had my backgrounds. Yeah. It. Yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not they're not they're not our cup of tea. They're not enough flavor. All right, now I'm going to wrap up Davos for the year. Man. <laughs> I had to I had to pull this out. Yeah. This was from the Wall Street Journal. Uh our friend Hillary brought this one to our attention. Yeah, I didn't actually read Bad this hotels thing. and not enough wine. A week with billionaires. Wow. All right, I'm gonna pull some select quotes from it. In between uh the world's greatest and good scramble in the cold, along with Davos's slippery streets, or wait for their limos to crawl along a one way main drag. <laughs> There are moments that make the experience truly unique. Nowhere else will you find this many CEOs searching for toilets that don't exist. It's probably the only place in the world where you will turn around and realize that the person behind you in line is Jane Goodall, or in other instance, the person in front of you is Sam Altman. Princess Eugene and Beatrice Bridgewater hedge fund investor Ray Dalio and President Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner found common ground in the unusual power center, the Hilton, Hilton Garden, Garden Inn. Inn. Yeah. I, I... A-listers flocked to the hotel uh, for its prime locations as one of the few accommodations inside the security zone of the World Economic Forum. Its 146 rooms were hard to snag. Some executives had to settle for a room with two double beds. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's... I have to be honest with you. I... I... Couldn't identify Jane Goodall on a bet. <laughs> Connections to the staff helped CEO Stanley Bergman snag two coveted tables on the ground floor lobby restaurant of the hotel for meetings. Bergman has stayed at the Davos hotspot since 2016, 
A table for two runs 150 Swiss francs an hour or about 170 bucks. If you really know the right people, you can get a customized egg, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's more. Oh, please. One of the hottest daytime party tickets is the annual Swedish lunch, a nonprofit event underwritten by sponsors including Swiss Bank, UBS, Zurich's Aston Martin dealership, and the UN's Department of Economic Social Affairs. When word came that the meatballs were served, lines quickly grew at several serving stations, each one with each one uh, chafing dish of the sweetest classic and another brimming with mashed potatoes. Tensions rose briefly when confused new arrivals accidentally cut the line. What? Cut the line? And then this is my absolute favorite. It's a blast from the past. You ready? Yeah. Davos is not Davos anymore, lamented former Trump economic advisor Gary Cohn, wistfully concluding in an interview Wednesday. The former Golden Sachs exec recalled making the annual privilege to the Swiss Alps in the aughts, when the forum was a place for treasury secretaries and heads of banks to share ideas and debate monetary policy. Debate monetary policy? I'm pretty sure old Klaus von Hitler there set it up <laughs> so everybody could uh, you know, talk about how great the world would be if only they and were in charge. And then here's the best part. Uh, one forum tradition is taking inventory of just how wrong predictions at the previous year's gathering turned out to be. <laughs> Investors in attendance a year ago anticipated a gloomy year in the markets, though the S&P ended in... Uh, 2023 up 24% here. Whatever is said at Davos, it's just the beginning, said Manolo Falco, a senior banker at Citigroup. And most of the time, what ends up happening is exactly the opposite. So, so why does anybody go? And then uh, there was a, a wine uh, event that uh, Scaramucci put together and yeah where they ran out of wine I they ran out of thousand dollar bottles of wine paul ryan was there smiling <sighs> sitting there with senator chris coons and yeah so man, that's great poor guys i really feel bad for him it's tough up there in the alps in the in the streets of davos i'm sure it's a lovely place like the rest of the year maybe all we, right maybe, uh, we should, maybe we should go like the like off season <laughs> stay at the hilton garden just have our own thing uh, I've got one. Uh, it's a little off the beaten path, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sure. do it anyway. What is it? I'm gonna skip that one. This is from Wall Street Journal. It's an opinion piece. The doctor is in, but the patient is out of state. State emergency orders during the COVID pandemic made it possible for patients in one state to consult with doctors in another via phone and internet. Those orders have now expired, however, and that flexibility has ended. With limited exceptions, doctors can participate practice medicine only in states where they are licensed and where their patients are physically present. So the the whole article talks about how um, people actually drive to the state line and park their car in, in, in order to telemedicine with their doctor who they established a relationship with during COVID. Or like if you moved yeah. during COVID, you could still have your primary care physician in the place where you, but now you can't unless you physically go into that state. So here's my question. Seems why do we have this? Why do, why would they re 
Why would they reinstate this? I don't know, because, you know, it's the federal government, so got to gotta do your thing. Is it a government thing, or is it it's the AMA? It's a licensing thing. If it's you're an AMA thing. You can't be licensed in Florida. If you're not licensed in a state, you can't practice medicine in that state. But they relaxed the whole thing during COVID, and it was free-for-all. I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Why, why are corporations obsessed with returning to work? Is the one in the is it, well, I don't know why I don't know why either. I, I, I think it's because I, I, people I, are more productive when they're together in an office. Okay, that's an argument, but but here's here's my point. My point is is that like everybody seems to be very anxious to go back to the way the world was, instead of just saying you know what that thing worked. Maybe we should just adopt that as a regular. I don't know that that totally uh, remote. Oh, I think totally remote doesn't work either. Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. This is like, uh, hey, this is the way we've always done it. And then the COVID thing came. And then, hey, so anyway. Uh, his close is, as a doctor, I want to provide the proper care for my patients no matter where they are. So I shouldn't have to risk losing my license or jail time to do so. Because states have failed to modernize physician licensure. It's time the courts weigh in. So mm. I agree 100%. Mm. Really? Dude, it's, it's perfectly okay to maybe there's an, interme an intermediate step. Maybe we should go ask the state legislature to re- Well, yeah, I'm, I'm for that too. <laughs> Instead of giving so, it over to the I'm courts to fix? Too. I'm for that too. So, that was just my pet peeve for the week. And I've got one more and a close. So grind, you your, grind your gears. I can't think of anything that's on top of my list of things to worry about that we haven't talked about. All right, fair enough. Then I will close with this. The New York Post. Anger management therapist charged with murdering man found in trunk of his car. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this is a Florida. Uh, of course. Where in Deland, Florida. Where else would it be? Travis McBride, 46, owner of the Starting Point Medical Health Clinic, specializing in anger management and anxiety <laughs> therapy, <laughs> has been charged with murder for allegedly shooting a man to death as part of an ongoing dispute and then stuffing his body an in his dispute? car. An ongoing dispute, not like a not like a rash moment, an ongoing There's dispute. There's been a murder that happened, a caller told police. We got a couple of witnesses, and I believe the person right now, he's looking at the road, cleaning up the blood off the ground. Oh, boy. The caller called the 911 dispatcher. I just saw him drag the body across the road. Good Lord. He put it in his car, and then he left. <laughs> a lot of detail for a 911 call. Uh, apparently, the, the individual had a, an issue with this gentleman who was homeless uh, because he was messing with his dog. The homeless guy was messing with his dog? Yes. What, what does that mean? I don't know, but we'll find out. Some, that's some serious so, reportage. I guess that's Florida. Eh, whatever. Guy shot the guy over a dog. I didn't really ask any questions. What do, you, what do you do for a living? He was an anger manager. <laughs> <laughs> right. And All that right. is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen, for this week. I do want to close, though, with some strong words of advice yeah. from President Biden to Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. We'll teach... Donald Trump, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs> Don't mess with the men women in America unless you want to get a benefit. And that is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. The campaign is in full swing. What kind of benefit do you figure he's talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
episode 166 in the books. Stay warm. Till next week. Namaste.